Hello and welcome to another episode of Cybersecurity Hot Takes. It is me, the marketing empress, your host, Reese Guida. Today I am joined by... I'm Jason Casey. I'm the CTO here at Beyond Identity. I'm HB. I run global sales engineering for Beyond Identity. Excellent. We are here today to discuss a blog that Phil Venables, the CISO of Google Cloud, published back in June, and it is called Our Security Analogies Counterproductive. And his thesis in this blog is that security analogies can be good, but a lot of times they're overly simplistic and they can lead to misunderstanding. So what is you guys' reaction to this blog? I want to know what happened to cause him to write the blog, because it feels, uh, as you mentioned, kind of off camera. It feels personal. It feels uh, situational. <laughs> Um, like, was it a talk that annoyed him? Right. That's a lot of energy to put a blog out based on a talk that annoyed him. Yeah. It's at least a thousand words, by the way. I think or, I'm going to comment and ask him what the heck happened. Or did someone do something like take physical action based on kind of a, a simple model of the world uh, that resulted in like, uh, I don't know, an outage or, or, or an incident of some sort? I, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious. What's the story behind the story? Because uh, it's a it's a strange it's not, it's not a strange blog. It just, I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, HV? You know, I spend a lot of time on Twitter these days kind of trying to keep up with the world and just, uh, you know, follow various topics and threads that are interesting. And uh, some of the stuff that Twitter has been uh, promoting the most are these, you know, simplistic mental model threads you know, where people come up and <laughs> write like, you know, uh, I learned this and or X person did Y and look at what like all of the things were that were important to their uh, uh, approach and progress. Thread. Do, do, yeah, do. those threads are, have become really popular. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I remember when journalists first started getting really upset about the BuzzFeed listicle kind of approach to uh, news and oh, then yeah. Axios got funded and Axios basically makes it into a full-fledged business model for like professional journalism to simply be bulletized. And uh, I, I think that just goes into like in a very, very complex and busy world not everyone has time or resources to become an expert on every topic. And analogistic thinking is just a really useful technique. And we need things refined and filtered for us. Uh, the challenge is that a lot of the people who uh, purport to be experts and try to come up with these mental models, they aren't the elite of the world, right? It's not like you're getting like the Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or Jeff Bezos's of the world. Wait, wait, wait. Bill Gates doesn't post, uh, here's the 10 steps on how to be the best CEO ever. Uh, <laughs> Dang ever. it. Continue reading to learn how. Yeah. Fortunately, tons of other people like give it for them. But like uh, w w when you look at like sort of the nuance of it, 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 it can often get overly simplistic. But I think analogistic thinking has a lot of value as well. You know, like when I was a kid, I learned most of what I learned about physics from listening to cassette tapes of Richard Feynman and almost everything that he related about the physical world and, and sort of laws of physics began with very simple observations and comparisons and sort of talk about how things jiggle 
and how jiggling results in things like, you know, fire and like, you know, <laughs> the idea that 60 Wow, my worldview just changed <laughs> in an but, instant. But, but like all of that stuff is like really great, but you just yeah. have to have a great person doing the analogies, right? Like, like there's a huge difference in quality. Yeah, well, I think analogies are inherently fun and kind of playful. And I think Jason was getting at that earlier. Like Phil Venable seems to not think that we should treat security like a toy, like like something we can play with, or else, you know, we might get hurt from the consequences. But I think that given the circumstances, like, yeah, I see where he's coming from, but there's a job shortage in cybersecurity. And a lot of young people are going to have to fill it. And I think that analogies are a really friendly way to get people on board with complicated ideas. And if they're hooked by that idea, they'll explore it more and learn it in literal terms, not always analogistic thinking. I mean, the flip side to that is um, you're not always working or speaking with people that are in your domain or wish mm -hmm. to be in your domain, but there's some sort of interdependency that you need them, they need you, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, uh, demanding uh, things from each other uh, isn't really a long-term uh, long viable uh, relationship. So explaining some sort of context usually requires you to meet that person where they are and what their current mental model is which invariably is going to invoke the analogy. But coming back to uh, something Huston was saying, I didn't really think about it that way, but I do wonder if if there's maybe an explosion of analogies being used by a certain class of folks um, that's more of like the shortcut thinking uh, yeah. mentality, right? Like the, the Twitter th threads that you were describing, right? Like, hey, here's my tweet, my, my 10, 10 tweet tweet storm on how to be excellent at X. And I look at the person as like, never heard of you, never heard of your companies. I, I'm not exactly sure what your track record is. And I looked at one this morning and the premise was if you, for every dollar you raise from a VC, if you don't plan on, uh, you need to make sure that you can um, uh, return at least 10. Otherwise it's not even worth what you're doing. And I'm thinking that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, from a VC's perspective, they are looking for 10x return, right? And it yeah. makes sense from the VC's perspective. But from a founder's perspective, like it, um, like when you raise money, it comes with terms. It comes with preference. It comes with, uh, uh, with, uh, with multiples. Like whether you actually are able to bring a return to employees and founders is highly dependent on all of those variables. Um, and then also the time it takes you to get to some sort of liquidation or, or, or exit. And, and honestly, you probably could have made a good explanation of that in your 10 tweets, but um, the, the, the thing was really just an assumption at the beginning that if you don't do one to 10, it's, it's not viable for anyone. And, and then it was a bunch of follow-on statements about something else. So I, 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 I could believe that maybe this thread of what are the shortcuts? How do I take shortcuts to knowledge and experience? Uh, maybe, maybe may have been the instigator of the cost too, yeah. but, uh, cause I certainly get frustrated by that sort of thing. Well, you know, gentlemen in life, there are no shortcuts. Um, now that I've spat that wisdom, I want to conclude this episode by asking what are some security analogies that stand out in your mind? I'll go ahead and give one. Uh, we talk about how there is no perimeter anymore and identity is the new perimeter. And we, we always compare it to a castle and a moat. And I just think that's hilarious and, and kind of silly because it's a very antiquated building that we're using to invoke modern 
interwoven technologies. Uh, what do you guys think uh, are some analogies that pop into your head when talking about security? That analogy is pretty popular. And yeah. actually, I think it's transcended being an analogy and, and turned into a real thing, right? Because when you look at security architectures of the 90s and the 2000s, they were, uh, they were designed around this concept that there's a perimeter and there's egress points and, and, and well-defined DMZs that you can essentially police um, uh, like uh, lateral movement. Hmm. And, and actually, I don't know if a city is really that bad of an analogy when you're thinking about um, what is the thing you have to protect, because in a city, there aren't like small egress points. Um, everything is highly connected. And in, in, a, in a computer system, right, like ultimately, uh, you're really just talking about data and data movement over connections. And there's this thing in computer science called data flow. Uh, which is really useful when you're designing processors. It's useful when you're building distributed algorithms. It's useful when you're building uh, compilers and whatnot. And it's also really useful as an analysis tool. If you can map out how data flows, you can kind of understand, well, at every point in which the data moves and at every point in which the data resides, it's an opportunity for someone to access data that they shouldn't or read the data that they shouldn't. So they're, I guess I'm kind of giving you a roundabout way that maybe the city analogy isn't necessarily so bad of describing the problem. Yeah. Um, the, the falsity is people just assuming that um, people not quite realizing how many orifice cities have. <laughs> I think that's a great one. So like when you look at like castle and moat, like, yeah, you can argue whatever you want to on castle and moat, but like, no, Firewall concepts sort of emerged in uh, early 90s kind of time frame with uh, NATs and all those kinds of things. The natural transition to that was that uh, people talk about zero trust. And in many ways, yeah. zero trust is a mechanism for, for having kind of analogistic thinking that like, you know, there's this idea of implicit complete trust and then zero trust. And is it truly zero trust? No, that's an extremely simplified mental model. And we don't actually ever get to a zero trust kind of model. And because of this, people can sort of misrepresent it, right? Like the mental model being so vague allows people to take like a conventional castle and mode architecture, like a VPN, and pretend like a VPN is suddenly a zero trust product. I think those kinds of things are where there's a lot of risk in overusing these things. But to your point, like uh, with new people coming in, the spectrum of people in cybersecurity can be people like Jason and I have spent 25 years thinking about network security to someone who just completed a 400-hour boot camp uh, that uh, promises to give you certified ethical hacker or uh, yeah. some sort of... Uh, security professional training. From 400 hours to 25 years of experience, you're just going to have a huge, huge like gulf in terms of ability to understand things. I think appreciating like where a heuristic is useful and where analogistic thinking is useful and not over-indexing on it for purposes of decisions mm -hmm. and actions is super important. It's, it's a tool for orienting yourself, right? Like if you look at observe, orient, decide, and act, the Boyd loop stuff. Um, this is just a mechanism for people who are severely disoriented to be quickly helped in orientation by people who understand the topic better. But the issue of deciding and acting like that decision stage, 
should probably be a little bit more intentional. And that's probably where Phil is running into his like uh, heartburn and <laughs> like seeming anger on this topic. So, Okay, mic drop, HB. That's a way to end the episode. So listeners out there, as always, like and subscribe, but please, with your analogies, use them, have fun with them, but be careful when you decide and act accordingly. We will see you for our next episode. Who knows what we're going to talk about? Hopefully it'll be fun and entertaining. Thanks for listening. See you next time.